0: Thank you very much, everybody, and so good to see you here. Bank holiday weekend. Brilliant. Um, stick your fingers in at Romans chapter 2, because we're continuing our Romans series here, and I'll be with that in a moment, but you need to be there. If you have your Bibles open, it's really helpful to know your way around your Bible, so I always encourage people to do that. Even if it comes up on the back, I encourage people to know their way around the Bible. Good. On his 80th birthday, Winston Churchill was in the Houses of Parliament and he was particularly paid a specific compliment about um, that he was the lion who defeated uh, Nazi Germany in World War II. And Churchill's response was that, uh, that it was the people, it was the people who had the lion's heart. And he said, I just had the luck to be called upon to give the roar. Do you know, as you come to this letter, I trust that through the letter of Romans, you'll hear the roar of the gospel. St. Augustine heard the roar of the gospel in this letter. Utterly changed his life and church history. Martin Luther was the same. And Martin Luther was freed of religious legalism and fear, transformed his life reading this gospel, the the, the gospel through the letter of uh, of Romans, and and uh, and from there the Protestant uh, Reformation came, a huge movement across the globe through this letter. John Wesley, uh, he he. There's this phrase that is often used about John Wesley because he wrote, uh, when he was reading this letter and the the letter was expounded to him, he said, my heart was strangely warmed. It changed his life. Utterly transformed John Wesley's life. And from then we had revival, not just in this nation, but across the nations. There's a roar of the gospel in this letter. So um, I trust that it will... It'll speak to you as we go through this series. So we come to this first verse in chapter 2. I'm just taking four verses here. um, But there's a whole lot more that I'm trying to crush in at the same time. But let's read these first four verses, shall we? You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point... You judge the other, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Um, you have to understand, you know, as we come here, that this is all part of a bigger picture. So this is not a standalone passage. This links in with the uh, last, uh, last part, the last chunk of chapter 1. And Paul is setting out the case, the case for the need of the gospel, Gospel means good news. And so in verse 16 of chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of, of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the sheer power of the gospel. Well, it transforms people's lives. So, my friends, you cannot appreciate the gospel, good news, you can't appreciate that without having a grasp of the bad news. In fact, understanding the bad news helps you appreciate more fully the good news. And Paul is like a barrister. So he gets to this letter and and he it's just it's just astonishing. He 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 opens up this case line by line, paragraph by paragraph. Argument by argument, he takes it all the way through, this particular chunk today, all the way through to the middle, to the last last third of chapter 3. And, and, his, and his analysis is brilliant. And what he's doing is he's answering people's different questions through the text. Now this today is such a big, such a big area I'm just focusing in On those first four verses. And we'll try and tie bits and pieces in from uh, the rest of this chapter. And part of chapter 3 into it as well. So last week we heard about the godlessness. Godlessness of the Gentiles. A Gentile by the way is a non-Jew. That's what a Gentile is. In the Bible it's a non-Jew. And Paul's analysis is forensic. I mean, his his analysis, his, his of the situation with the godlessness of the Gentiles. It's just a damning indictment. If you were not here last week, I, I, you will miss out if you don't download John's message from last week. You will miss out. You'll miss under, You'll you'll miss out on, the, on an understanding of this letter. It's such a good. It was such a good message. Very very helpful. Set the whole thing out. So, and it tells you about, in chapter one, it tells you about God's, that God had given them over to their perversion and wickedness. What's that mean, God had given them over? It means that he said, all right, you can have it. If this is the way you want it, you have it. Let me tell you this, it's a terrible place to be when God lives off his restraints. When God takes his restraints off and says, okay, go on then, have it. I tell you, it's, it's the worst place in the world. A place without God's controls, God's, God's sense of uh, his, his frontiers, his boundaries. When he lifts it off, oh my goodness me, it is a terrible place to be. You don't want to be there when nations go there, it's anarchy. It can happen in your life, but it can happen in nations. So, my friends, please hear this. So, that's, that's, that's chapter 1. So, that's what's going on. And he sets out the case for the Gentiles. So, this morning, we've got three headings. And it's this, welcome to the church. And the second one is welcome to the message and the third one is welcome to others and paul when i say welcome to the church he knows the church so if you're following the notes online through facebook twitter email whatever if you're following that you you will probably realize that this church has is, has some diversity it, and it's made up of twofold you will have a jewish you have jewish converts and you have gentile converts They're both in the mixed. I want to tell you, with a Gentile context, you have many cultural contexts. In a Jewish context, you have just the Jewish background and all the rest of it. So, you have many cultures in this church. So, I'm married to my wife, Des, and my wife is Greek Cypriot, and I... I'm English and therefore two cultures meet we have an interesting marriage we have an interesting marriage we have lots of things to learn about one another and we have lots of things why because it's not just family backgrounds it's cultural backgrounds that come together and uh, it's been a it's been a journey She will. It's been a a really interesting one, brilliant one, but it's been a journey, my friends. Well, (laughs) this church is an interesting church. It's like um, like many others. It started with Jewish converts, because Paul, first of all, would go to cities, and then he'd go to the synagogues, and he would speak to the Jews, and there would be these Jewish converts to Christianity. And they would start the church. Well, in A.D. 49, the emperor was called Claudius. And he expelled all the Jews from Rome. Out. Absolutely out. Now, by the time they come back, the church has changed. There are other leaders in place. The Jewish converts were probably in the, now we're in the minority. This was no longer the church it used to be. I hear that line somewhere. I've heard this. A number of churches I've been in, including Kings. This isn't the church I joined. Praise the Lord. Church changes, my friends. Church changes. I mean, if it's not changing, well, you could get stuck. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? And this is the situation they find themselves in. It's sensitive. And that's why you get this phrase. And if you follow Romans 2, you'll get this phrase. Every now and then will crop up. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It's a little bit later on here in chapter 2 as well. Now, if you're a Jewish convert, and you listened in chapter 1, because this, this would have been read out. So he would stand here and he would read the letter. So if you listen to chapter one and you're reading the letter, you if you were a Jewish convert and you hear him him saying, God gave them over, talking about the Gentiles, God gave them over to sinful desires, unnatural lusts, a depraved mind. You know, there would have been a sort of there could possibly be a wise nodding of the head. That's right. You tell them. Amen, brother preach it Pentecostals weren't the first to come up with that I sensed that was preach it brother, go on, you tell them and then the reader of the letter continues and he goes you therefore are without excuse you who pass judgment on someone else why is he writing this? Because they're doing this. For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So as the letter is being read, suddenly people are looking around the room. This is now applying to other people. There's this growing realization from the Jewish Jewish converts. That the letter has changed course. And it's no longer the Gentiles that are in the spotlight. But it's them. They are. They, they, the, the Jews were part of the jury. And now they're in the dock. And everything's changed. This is a shock. How could you say this to us? Who have more of a background of God than anybody else. This is an utter shock. How could you say this? What do you mean? The same things, doing the same things. Suddenly the tables are turned, my friends. Jesus had his biggest problem with religious people. Let me say that again. Jesus had his biggest problems with religious people. Read the Gospels. Some people he seemed very much at home with. But religious people he had more than his own fair share of problems. You know Jesus is teaching God underneath the skin he didn't judge things just on externals Jesus is teaching God underneath the skin you've heard it said he says in the Sermon on the Mount do not commit adultery but I tell you anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery he gets underneath the skin do not murder it is said do not murder and And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother, brackets, without cause, will be subject to judgment. There was this teacher who gave this assignment to her students, university students. And she gave the assignment of reading the Sermon on the Mount. She asked them to read it and... um, and that they would come back and tell them their response to Sermon on the Mount. None of them had read this. It's, this was new stuff. And they, when they came back, the typical comments were like this: "I didn't like the Sermon on the Mount. I didn't. I didn't like it. I just. It made me feel I had to be perfect. I. I, I hated it. I hated it. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. No one can be like this." Don't know if this, this, is, um, this is true. Before we were Christians, uh, my wife and I were... Uh, actually, we weren't even married. We were living together at the time. So before we were Christians, I I read all this stuff about the Sermon on the Mount. And I said to her, let's do it. Let's do the Sermon on the Mount. Let's try and... Because it seems... I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount. If It's these people you want to be around. It's people like this, you see, who 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 are so generous and so giving and so loving and forgiving and all the rest of it. So I said, let's try and do this. I forgot to tell them in the first meeting that it was before we were Christians, but never mind. And anyway, so um we started we tried to do this. I want to tell you this. I was fed up halfway through the morning. I thought this I, I understood this. This is ridiculous. Who lives like this? I didn't even want to live like that. It was so difficult. I didn't want to love that other person. You must be joking. I thought it's so difficult. I understand this, you see. And then, you see, the teacher says to these students Aren't these the people you want to be around? People who are generous? People who are forgiving? People who keep no record of wrongs? Not resentful? Gracious? Grateful? Kind? And then she said, isn't this what you expect of others? And in the room there was silence. You know, we get angry when people don't meet our expectations. But do we? Do we meet our expectations? When people fail to hold themselves to the standard that we have spoken out over them do we it's all quiet in here Paul knows the church and he knows the Jewish mindset and the Jewish mindset is to judge by external appearances and to assume that as God's people this condemnation is not for them it's for the others not for us, but uh, not for us, but for them. I don't know if you use that type of language, them and us. Do you use that type of language, them and us? I tell you what, you know, it's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. I wonder if you pick that up during the election time. I pick this up during the election time, listening to all the political debates, particularly around the hot the issue of immigration, and I hear this word. This phrase, them and us, I tell you, it really gets me. I get cross with this. When people are dismissed as them, them, as if they're different to us, I tell you what, some of the glib things that I said, just, them and us is a dangerous place to be. Listen, this is the church. This is the church, and the church, it's full of different people. Look around the room. All right, don't. But it's full of different people, my friends. That's the wonder of the church. That is the miracle of the church. That is the incredible power of God in the church that would bring different cultures together under one banner, the banner of the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You know, I think last year we did a count of different nationalities, and we were up to around, without, without doing an in-depth survey, we were up to 38, 38 different nationalities. In Ephesians, Paul says there's one new man in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think that's, that's the miracle of the church. It's the miracle of the gospel. So, welcome to the church. It's not easy. It's messy. But it's God and it's a miracle. Hallelujah. So, welcome to the church. Welcome to the message. The message is this that he is writing here. The message is we are all in trouble. You need to remember this, that the majority of Paul's list of wickedness that he outlines in chapter 1 focuses on attitudes, wickedness, like envy, deceit, malice, gossips, insolent, arrogant, boastful, disobedient, faithless, heartless. My friends, big trees grow from little acorns. Actions come out of thoughts and attitudes. You do the same things, he says. You do the same things. You have to know your message. And the message is this. We're all in trouble. Look at verse 11, chapter 2. Verse 11. For God does not show favoritism. No one is exempt. We're all in trouble. And... And that is the place that Paul is getting to in chapter 3. No one is righteous, he'll say. Not one. Not one. Not even one is righteous. Whatever your background, not a single Jew or Gentile can be right with God by their own efforts. We are all in trouble. Francis Schaeffer is a 20th century theologian. And he spoke of an invisible tape recorder. Today it would be an MP3. And it would be around our necks. And this MP3 would record everything we say to others and about others and about how they ought to live. Let me just say that again so you can work that out again. So this MP3 recorder would record everything we say to others and about others and about how they ought to live. Then when we stand before God, this is his illustration he was using, and if we would say, then then when we stand before God and we say, hang on a minute, you can't judge me, I didn't even know you existed. Or, I heard about the Bible, but I never read it. I never read it. I didn't know it was yours. I didn't know you wrote it. You can't hold me responsible. Francis Seifer says, On that day, God, will, the judge, will reach out around our necks, take off our invisible tape recorder, MP3, then it will be visible. And he says, I will be completely fair. I will simply play back, I will simply play this back to you and judge you on the basis of what your own words say are the standards for human behavior. Who wants to do that? Hey, who wants to do it? So in verse 3, he says, do you think you will escape God's judgment? So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll expect God's judgment? Here's the message. We're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. The danger is this. Any moralistic community will have the temptation to feel that they are superior to others. That could well be you and me, the church. Hear me. I tell you, church, outside the grace of God, we're all in trouble. We don't go pointing the finger. Christians often start in the grace of God and move on to the behavior and move on to the the disciplines and and how much they've prayed, and how much they've done this, and and making themselves feel right with God according to what they've done. It's the grace of God, my friends, that will carry you through. I need the grace of God today. In my last week, I tell you, I won't go into it, and you won't be all that impressed anyway, but I tell you, I've needed the grace of God. I've needed the grace of God for me for me, we, we had to live in the grace of God. Romans 1 is like a, a, a picture of the younger brother in the prodigal son, the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. And the prodigal son goes off and does his stuff, and he sleeps with prostitutes, and he does this, and he does that, he squanders his father's inheritance, and then he comes home. Now, Romans 2 is about the older son, because the older son said the older son's problems only start when the younger son comes home and the younger son is welcomed and the older son doesn't want to welcome him and the older son doesn't want to go in and join the party and he comes out with his list I stayed I turned up I was there I slaved for you all these years I think that's a great line tells you about the relationship doesn't it I slaved for you all these years. I have, I never, I, 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 never disobeyed you. Pulls out his list. I kept the rules. I was Mr. Responsible. He wasn't. Yeah, and all of that. They both missed the Father. They were both lost. His message was about his effort, his performance, and his faithfulness. And when he looked at all the stuff that he had done, he looked down on his brother and disdained him and dismissed him. And he judged his brother. Do you know what? You can be all the doing stuff here in church and do exactly what the older brother does and look down on somebody else. You know, watch this. We're prone to this. Neither son loved the father. The older son feels he has a right to judge the younger son. He feels superior. He has the right to choose the robe and the ring and who wears it for the family. He feels he has a right to tell the father what to do. And Jesus tells this story to the Jews. They were unhappy. They knew this was about them. All I'm just asking, church that it isn't about you and me please because if you feel that God ought to bless you and help you because of all the effort you put in and and that you've earned it well I want to tell you he is not your saviour in that case you are he may be your helper he may be a great example he may be your inspiration but if this is about your performance he's not your saviour that's down to you good luck and if you live like this then you will feel that God owes you so you do your bit he does his bit you do your bit, he gives me a good life you do your bit he answers all my prayers you do your bit and you get a free ticket to heaven if that's your view of God you've missed it you'll be severely disappointed because it's not about him it's all about you. So, you have to understand the bad news, you see. You're thinking, my goodness me, is he ever going to get to any good news? So, verse 4 is this. Guess, look at this. You, verse 4 is, uh, or do you show contempt? i run out of time, aren't I? Uh, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance. God's kindness isn't a little bit. It's not a teaspoonful of kindness. It's a vast vault of kindness. It's, he is rich in kindness. You can't get an end to his kindness. If you're just taking little sips, you're missing it. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's the kindness of God that pursued me and went after me. Even when I did my own thing, he never gave up. His patience never gives up. His grace and kindness never gives up. It's the kindness of God that led me to repentance. I didn't even want to repent and he knew that. And still he came after me. My goodness me, That's the kindness of God. It's a vault load, my friends. He refused to give up on you. He refuses to give up on you. Don't tell me he's the God of the second chance. That is minimizing it. Third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance. You know. Some of you do anyway. You mean through these chances. I tell you what. His kindness leads us to repentance. Hallelujah. Amen. So, my friends, when we stand before him, it says every mouth will be shut. In other words, nothing will be said. Why? For us, we'll be stunned by his kindness. We will gape at his kindness. Our eyes will be out on stalks at his kindness. This is the kindness of God. Let me just read this to you. John White talks of a a police detective who served on the vice squad on a certain uh, Canadian city. But perhaps illustrating the principle that it takes a thief to catch a thief had himself been guilty of shady behavior as well as infidelity to his wife. His second marriage seemed about to fold when Christ found him. I met him at a conference because becoming a Christian was so recent, so fresh in his mind, the emotions of the change were too fresh for him to control. The hard shell behind him, which his true humanity had, be, had been concealed, was now destroyed. He'd been a man's man, but in prayer meeting, he sobbed unrestrainedly not so much with sorrow, as with joy and wonder, falling on his knees, he cried out, amazed, afresh by God's love for him and God's grace coming to him You saved me, healed me. I don't understand. How could you do it? I tell you, we need a bit of that, my friends. I mean, how could you do it, Lord? It shocks me. His kindness shocks me. So, last part is, and I just finished here welcome to others let's welcome others this is not for us this is not just for us this is for others gratitude goes to other people you don't know the story behind other people I worked in a regional assessment center in the 70s and some of the kids were from a delinquent disturbed background we, we used to cream off those from London and I'd read their stories I read their stories, and I would think, how how did you ever survive? I'd read their stories. I thought, there, but for the grace of God, go higher. you had never had a start. We had two kids run away. They went to this boy's house. One kid came back He said he couldn't live there. I mean, it was such a trash. He couldn't live there. A boy is a male prostitute at the age of eight. I read their stories. So, as you're meeting people this week, please don't label. Don't do the label stuff. I don't know if you do the label stuff. Don't do it. I, I know I get caught out at times. Don't do the label stuff. Do the grace stuff. You don't have to go up and pray for them. Just pray for them. Just pass them in. And ask the Lord to bless them. For people whose, whose home is the street, just pray. My friends, pray, but don't label. You don't know the half of people's stories. Even in this room, you haven't a clue. My oh, goodness me. This message, we're all in trouble. If we're outside of the grace of God. Let's pray for others that they would be in his grace. Amen.